The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. People call me Whitney Seibold. And uh, this I may mean, be the weirdest show that we've got. Uh, weirdest, but it's a really great idea. And it was your idea, so I commend commendations oh, to you. Thank you. I wasn't going to uh, take any credit for it. Um, uh, but uh, this episode, however, is going to be a little odd, because we have Wally Andre and a mysterious interloper. <laughs> So which, which one is which, I guess you'll have to find out. For those of you who may be new to this particular program, uh, My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre is a podcast in which Whitney Seibold and I uh, invite people that we know in the entertainment industry uh, to watch and then discuss Louis Malle's classic film, My Dinner with Andre, which, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it's available on HBO Max if you want to stream it right now. Uh, it, it's on the it's, Criterion channel as well. Yep. Uh, Wallace Shawn, who you probably know is uh, one of the villains from The Princess Bride and uh, one of the teachers from Clueless, amongst many other roles he's done. And Andre Gregory, who is perhaps a little bit more obscure to film fans, but a, a great uh, a a talent the nonetheless. The and they're yeah. both giants in the theater world. Yes. Uh, it's a film in which they have a conversation, and that's the movie. The conversation is big and sprawling and pointed and thoughtful and challenging. And one thing we've discovered is that different people watch the movie in different ways and pick up on different things. And we thought it would be an interesting sort of uh, Rorschach test uh, to ask various people, various people from interesting uh, uh, backgrounds and perspectives uh, to watch the film and then talk about it, not unlike a dinner with Andre. <laughs> and uh, for our third episode, we're very, very excited to have the folks from First Cut. And you may also know them from The Meaning of Podcast. First Cut is their YouTube channel. The Meaning of Podcast is a podcast where uh, they go over the filmography of uh, an a director's entire filmography. And I'm a big, big fan of them. Uh, they are Robert Butler III, Sabrina Ramirez, and uh, actually... We, we have an Andre of Andres uh, uh, Cabrera. We have an uh, Andres. Yes. Not, it's, it's, clo uh, okay, fine. It's, 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 it's vaguely coincidental. And and uh, Robert Butler III is now Wally Butler III, just to, to round it out. <laughs> and Sabrina is Sabrina. And they're, listen, they're, they're actually really wonderful critics. If you're unfamiliar with their work, please go check them out. We're, mm -hmm. And if you're coming over... Uh, because you're familiar with their work and this is your first time over at the Critically Acclaimed Network, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoy their conversation about my dinner with Andre. They actually have some really interesting takes on it, and I'm, I'm glad we get to share uh, uh, their thoughts on the film. Um, in particular, they really talked about uh, a lot of the class dynamics involved, and they even talked about how, like, in later in the film, when uh, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn talk about the, you know, the sort of difference between, like... Um, um, popular art versus mm. you know high-minded art which in some respects my dinner with andre actually is and they've made some interesting parallels and talked about how uh they the fundamental elitism uh 
uh, involved in criticism itself, but in a way that uh, I think is actually really thought-provoking and smart. So um, I know critics come under fire a lot, and this isn't really that, but it is a really smart observation uh, about uh, the conversations that are had in my dinner with Andre from the perspective of uh, actually younger critics who have uh, a different backgrounds and different uh, opinions than Whitney and myself, and uh, we are very grateful uh, that we are uh, able to share them with you today. Uh, so again, if you're new, be sure to check out the rest of the Critically Acclaimed Network. We've got uh, movie reviews on Critically Acclaimed. We've got uh, TV shows that were canceled too soon, on canceled too soon. We've got the prehistory of Star Wars in Episode Zero. And of course, our own Patreon, patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. But enough of us. Let's enjoy First Cut's dinner with my dinner. With Andre. With my dinner. With Andre. What is up, guys? I'm Andres. This is RV3. I'm Sabrina. And we are First Cut, a YouTube channel pretty much dedicated to talking about movies. Uh, we do video essays. We do live streams as well. We have our own podcast it's called The Meaning of Podcasts, where we talk about directors and their filmography. Uh, today, we're talking about, obviously, the 1981 film, Mike Dinner with Andre. Uh, this is a movie that, obviously, uh, to you guys and to me as well, is ancient. 1981 is forever ago. Um, but it has a lot to say. Uh, it's pretty much one location, uh, dialogue movie, dialogue heavy movie. Uh, I want to get your guys' take on the movie, first of all, if you've seen it before, um, or if this is your first time watching it, and what your overall thoughts of it was as a, as a picture itself. Uh, yeah, I've seen the film before, actually, in a film club that I had in high school. This was one of my uh, teacher's like favorite films at the time, so it was one that he always recommended to us. And he had it on while we are all working on other stuff, so we weren't really paying as much attention to it. And so this was basically the first time I'd actually really seen it and really paid attention to it, because kind of like how we're going to get into this one is not really a visual spectacle. It's more, it's completely dialogue heavy. It's all about the dialogue. And that's really what you have to pay attention to, to actually uh, take in the film. So this was almost my first time watching it. Uh, how about you, RB3? Yeah, I, um, I really enjoyed this movie. This was my first time watching it as well. I really, um, I had, you know, thank you. Salute to William Viviani, who invited us to be a part of this podcast uh, with, you know, him and Whitney. Um, and part of critically acclaimed, uh, you know, uh, podcast feed. And I, you know, again, this is another, I've learned so much from like Bibiani over the years, like in terms of like movies that have, you know, I probably would have never heard of, um, you know, before. And this is another one of those movies. Um, I, you know, I really didn't have much of an idea what this was walking into it. Um, and, but, you know, this is like a really interesting piece because it's not necessarily like, a dramatic narrative piece with like a bunch of conflict and all that kind of stuff. Like Sabrina said, it is very like dialogue heavy, but it gets you thinking about the themes and it gets like a conversation started. So just like these like two main characters, like having a conversation, we just get to like sit here and have this conversation too. So I think, I think there's so much we could like, you know, talk about and discuss, uh, you know, off, off of this for sure. Yeah, yeah obviously. Oh, go ahead. Well, the way they, um, this type of film creates this specific type of intimacy where it almost feels like we're listening in on their conversation. And that's something that I found to be very interesting when I was watching it. 
um, we really get to know the main characters without them ever introducing themselves because they both know each other. And from that and just the entire conversation, that created something really interesting about kind of not really getting to know people like on the surface, but through a deeper level. Because even if you know somebody, you don't really understand the like inner workings of their thoughts. But this film kind of sounds like the way they were speaking. It was deep and rich and layered. But at the same time, it was almost like they were just saying exactly what they were thinking at the time. So it felt very in that way. And that's what I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like written by um, like these two guys, um, um, Wallace Shaw and Wallace Shawn and um, Andre uh, Gregory. And these uh, and yeah, their conversation like feels very natural. It feels like very fluid because I feel like these are two people who just know each other super, super well. And kind of have that kind of camaraderie of like, you know, having that both being in like the New York RC um, theater kind of world. Right. And, you know, it definitely lends like different perspectives, like, you know, in terms of who, like what, like the different sides of it. Right. Like the Andre character as much as like a playwright who is, you know, uh, traveled a lot more, has a lot more like worldly experience. And then, you know, Wallace, uh, Wallace's character is much more of like a, uh, an actor who doesn't have as much, who's kind of struggling and like fighting for money. So it's like, you know, like you kind of, it's kind of nice to see like these two kind of friends who are kind of insiders and both do relatively the same thing within the same industry, but have such different perspectives based on like, you know, like their, their, their position and their craft and their like philosophy. So, and I think that's what the whole theme of this movie is about, like how similar people are like as you know people as individuals but like how the small things and the differences and the ideas and the culture kind of um, differentiates us so yeah it's interesting right because it's essentially andre just telling one long story at least for the first half of the movie um which is about his time in poland in a forest kind of going on this uh existential a crazy adventure that he went on filled with ups and downs and with weird moments and with happy moments uh, with a group of people that he spent time with. Um, yeah, RB3, talk to me a little bit more about that because uh, what do you think was the biggest takeaway of the film as far as thematically what the message they were trying to communicate was? Well, I mean, well, that's that's the thing. Like, I don't think there was like a one message they were kind of okay. going at, right? It's like philosophy um, like kind of, you know, th- that whole question of like, you know, are humans inherently, you know, artistic or is art, or is art something that we inherit like as, you know, or, or is, is, is what is heart is art inherited by what we bring to it, right? As people, as individuals. I think that's like kind of the central question about it. Um, you know, for me, like the kind of takeaway I was getting from it was, you know, being honest, like this was, when when Andre's character talks about going to all these different places, like these forests and, and um, you know, speaking on going to India and all of these worldly travels that he's done and how much of him experiencing the real world and experiencing humans and experiencing, like, you know, all of these, you know, uh, forms of life and, and, and culture gave him a whole new perception of, of, of the world and of, uh, and of, and of his place as an artist right and you know it's fascinating to me because he talks about it and you know in a, in a way it could have been like seen as like you know um exotic sizing or like 
you know, making like this whimsical fantasy. And he tells the story about this Japanese monk that he lets live in his house too, like, you know, with his family. And these are all things that could be like exoticizing or, or, or fantasizing about, you know, different cultures and ethnicities. Um, but you know, for me as of your, from my perspective, this is kind of the exotic perspective. This is kind of the exotic trip because these are two characters who are frankly like New York theater people eating in this super bougie, super like, you know, upscale restaurant talking about all these like real life things. And, and, and then even Wallace, Wallace, uh, Wallace's character says it, um, somewhere like towards the end of the second act where he's like, well, yeah, I mean like, but do you really need money and travel to have a full experience of the world? Um, so, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, I think that to me is one of the more central questions. Um, I think, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's what it really goes to is art really about capturing a human experience for others, or is it about capturing the experience of yourself and expressing yourself? So it's interesting for sure. That was definitely my biggest takeaway from this entire film. Talking about experiences, like you said, it's kind of like life is shaped by experiences. Like art is shaped by experiences. Life is art. Art is life for these two men. They're both artists. Mm -hmm. And it just shows kind of the differences that change your worldview from the things that you experience in life. Because when we meet um, Wallace's character, he's he's definitely not having the easiest time as an artist. He says his girlfriend has to work an extra job, that they're struggling a little bit. And then he meets this friend that he hasn't, or this acquaintance kind of, that he hasn't seen in years. And when we're introduced to him, it's the complete opposite. He's very comfortable at this restaurant, clearly. He, he knows the menu. Um, people know him, all of that kind of stuff. And it really just shows kind of the value of, everything because you can have all of that stuff you can have like the bougie restaurants you can have this acclaim you can have these experiences but at the end of the day that's not satisfying in the life of an artist what's satisfying are the experiences that shape your own art and it's just kind of it's something that's really interesting that they talk about throughout this entire film yeah kind of going along those lines rb3 that's kind of what i thought of when i was watching it i can't help but take those things into account when I see them going to this fancy restaurant, ordering off this super fancy menu, uh, and then talking about a story where the almost maybe the first 20 minutes of Andre's story, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, you, you could afford this? Because that's my first thought, right? Is like, this guy doesn't have to worry about rent, bills, doing all this kind of stuff. And it's like, that's kind of the privilege that comes with being successful in art, being a successful artist comes the opportunities to travel the world to learn different languages to go to different exotic locations that comes with money like frankly it's i can't help but think especially during this time in quarantine and in covid of of how that's such a privilege that so many people don't have right now people don't have the income to ever experience anything like andre ever experienced because they don't have the money Uh so to me I don't know. That's something that stood out to me. It's always, it comes hand in hand, the artistic value of something and the the life of an artist itself, when it goes hand in hand with money, right? Because obviously we always hear about the struggling artists as far as uh, people who are, are scraping by to pay rent and they're selling paintings. I've actually met a few people who are painters and they actually are struggling to pay rent and, and selling paintings off to friends and being like, hey, help me pay rent. Uh, I've had friends do that too. 
versus an artist who's so successful that they just go off on this months long trip uh, where they don't have to worry about that and they can come back to their New York lifestyle where they're eating in a fancy restaurant. I don't know if that that the class thing uh, stood out to you, but it stood out to me. Yeah, no, I think the the class thing's a big thing about it, right? And how people from different classes are going to like perceive art and perceive like what um, art can do and how art can be experienced. Um, you know, I think Wallace's whole argument uh, towards the, the the end of the film is just like, yo, like, you know, not everybody can, not everybody can, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can travel. Not everybody can see the world in the same way. Why does that make? Why does that? Why does traveling and why does being a part of various human experiences make you more human, more or less human? And, um, and you know, I think there is something to be said about you know, the artistic process and how traveled you are and like how cultured you are and how much that is going to affect your art. Right. But then, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, what are we going to do about it now? And even they say so much in, in, in this movie, like this movie came out in the, in the eighties, like, you know, post, uh, 1960s, uh, you know, civil rights movement post, like all these, you know, incredible revolutionary times that we saw in the sixties. Um, now in the eighties, we the eighties is very is the Reaganomics, right? Very Reagan era, very like you know kind of posh era where we started as a society started going more towards the commercial areas and the more money focused areas and started getting more greed. And you know this is Wall Street came around this time. Greed is good, right? That kind of became the mainstream American philosophy, especially in a place like New York and especially in a bougie community like these characters are inhabiting in this movie, right? So it's like, it's, it's, it's a difficult dichotomy to um, have someone who is rich and being, and using his, like, his money to, like, travel and have art and have all these, like, worldly experiences that he's able to communicate to his friends. But, you know, at the end of the day, what does, what more merit does that give your, um, you know, does that give you? And is, is is art inherently tied to privilege you know like that's always a question that comes up too so and especially for new york and and theater which is such an expensive uh you know uh, art form that requires a lot of money to go to a broadway show so yeah yeah it's it's something to be said because it kind of it really does blatantly tell us without actually saying too much in their conversation about how like money doesn't necessarily equal to like value and richness in your life because even just by the characterization like we see Andre and he definitely seems like he has more he's more of a pessimist and Wallace is kind of a bit more optimistic he's a more ordinary man and um like we're pulled into this conversation of like conflicting topics and ideologies and ideas but the way that it's the way that it's portrayed in this film makes it pretty easy to follow and you can definitely see their opposing conflict of their views but while having this like civil just like casual conversation while they're diving deep into each other's psyches basically it's something that's really interesting because it gets very existential very fast they bring up a lot of philosophies very fast it's it's something that happens really quickly to them so they're both clearly two intelligent artistic worldly men that just have experienced life in a different way um just because andre has had those experiences doesn't necessarily mean that his his worldview is richer than wallace's right but i think you know and i think that goes 
I think that goes back full circle to what we talked about in the beginning, right? Of how how Andre is like this playwright, somebody who has more success, who has more money, as opposed to somebody like, you know, Wallace, who is an actor who's struggling a little more. His perspective on art and life is going to be naturally a little more pessimistic, right? Like, and that's ultimately like what it comes down to, too. Like how, you know, there's always this question of like, does money make someone happy? How much money does, you know, how does money really make people happy? And if so, how much? And this is kind of like, uh, I feel like this movie is arguably like an argument for that, right? Like how much, you know, how much money you can have influences how much you could be cultured, how much life you could live, how much art you can consume and how primitive it comes down to. And, but, and then, but what, in, in an ironic sense, that's what money can do for somebody like Andre. But when he tells these experiences, these are all very primitive artistic experiences, standing in woods, camping in woods, living with Japanese monks, um, standing on cliffs, um, talking to Indian priests. Like these are all very primitive things from, you know, that are, you know, not modern, not new, not, not first world. These are, you know, taking this, this finding beauty and like the, the benign and beauty in the, in the primitive, um, and, and the simple and the minimalist. Um, which is kind of the exact opposite of what money gives you. So, it's, and, and, and that's why it's so fascinating for somebody like Andre because it's like you know he's he's buying something he's he's not able to have. So. Yeah, but at the same time, it's interesting, right? Because it's that di- it's that dichotomy of having the privilege to experience these more primitive experiences and cultures, mm-hmm. where it's like I have the money to go to these forests and go camping and do all this stuff. I mean, if you really think about it, it just think about how much your life is amplified with with having the uh, the wealth to do those certain certain things. Think about it in terms of mental health, right? How many people around the world in in poorer areas who are who are living in in bad economic times would love to go to therapy? They would love this amazing therapist and to go to therapeutic sessions that mm. are probably five hundred bucks an hour. Those people can't afford it. And here's Andre having uh, uh, what you could call a therapeutic experience uh, with this retreat, with this time away in, in the Polish forest. That's a privilege within itself to even have that as an experience because he can afford it. And, and it, it really, I don't know, it, it really made me think about mental health and therapy in general and how even that system is, is, is made for the rich, where mm-hmm. rich people are the ones who go to high class therapists that make them feel better. I'm sure poor people would love that too. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting because I still feel like the value of art is something that I think all three of us can kind of uh, look at ourselves and have an existential question about. I do, for example, living in a family that's very, very, um, you know, forward thinking, uh, uh, established roots in the ground kind of attitude that my parents raise me with because I'm a first generation American being first generation means we came to this country for you to have roots and for you to establish a well a good career that you can have for the rest of your life and you can have your kids and your kids kids and all this stuff that I'm doing the opposite of Uh, by moving to LA and choosing art uh, I can ask these questions about myself and the value of art where most of the time you have to question the relevance of what you're making, right, Sabrina? Am I 
No? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I echo everything you say as a, another first-generation American. Um, it's almost like this weird looming guilt, I think you can attest to that, that kind yeah. of hangs over you when you choose to do something like this because I'm, I'm like, my parents came to this country didn't know how to speak the language they had to they had to work really hard from a really young age to give me the life that i have right now and i'm going in a certain direction where i choose this how some some uh people think it's it is tough going like pursuing any career that's based around art is really really tough i'm i'm very lucky because i have the support of my family so i've i put that guilt on myself um, but they have always supported me every step of the way. But it does, it does bring up that existential questioning and that dread of like, is this something that's like viable for the future? Is this something that's worth it? Even though art, for me, I kind of had this talk with uh, people as I was growing up where I was like, art is basically the number one thing that makes me happy. And that's kind of the only thing that I could see myself actually being fulfilled in life pursuing and um, and I think at the end of the day, I've always kind of equated that to me being happy is me being rich and full in life. I, of course, everybody would love to make a lot of money and be able to travel and experience all these other cultures. But to me, as long as I'm comfortable and content in doing what I love, it's like that's when I'm feeling kind of like emotionally rich and I, I feel like rich in myself and rich in everything because the people that I've met along the way in this process, which is something that we also see with Wallace and Andre because they've met people like each other, they're, they're mutual friends, things like that throughout this process of being an artist. And the people I've met along the way so far have been absolutely great and have completely changed my life. So these are the kind of values that I admire and I feel like that's something that Wallace more more so also kind of uh, enjoys as we could kind of see throughout his narration in the film. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah. RB3, what are your thoughts on on the idea of finding relevancy in your art? Well, I mean, it, you know, I think this goes back to right what Andre was talking about um, at a certain section of the movie when he was talking about um, how much we need to not make art that necessarily focuses on the tragedy, on the on the brutalness, on the sadness of the human experience. But instead, what art was really meant to do is bring joy and bring entertainment and bring happiness. Um, so, I mean, that's just something that um, Andre kind of learned through his experience of, like, traveling through other countries and other places, is that that's what they utilize their art for, right? And that's what I think is... I think that's that's incredibly fascinating because it, it takes me back to an, an older film... Um, that I am blanking on the name of right now, but this is an old black and white, like 1930s movie about a film producer who literally, um, he, he wants to make like a, a super tragic social issue film. So he literally throws himself into homelessness and ends up getting, getting put in jail. And then when he's in jail, he realizes that the people in jail, what they are entertain, what entertains them the most are like the Mickey Mouse cartoons. So it's like the whole idea of like, yeah, like, you know, while while capturing reality and capturing the human experience is, you know, an important and relevant part of, of art, what's also important is the is the humor and the entertainment and the enjoyment that you're able to get out of art as well. So and I think it's funny because 
you know, whereas somebody like Andre would argue that, Wallace will argue it's more important to keep the realistic because it's more important to paint this image of what's real and what's reality. Um, and I think that's a, that's an interesting question that the kind of uh, movie that this movie goes into too, like how much of reality is necessary to 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 be an art, and how much we thrive on reality being an art, and how much of you know what Andre's even saying is even like fully real, real. Like how much of it is exaggerated? How much of it did he make up? So that's you know I think that's kind of one of the also big looming questions that I kind of saw out of this too. Yeah, I mean it's so interesting about. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking in terms of myself, uh, where I feel like if I'm making something, I, I don't know if you guys ever ask yourselves, what am I doing that will benefit others? If that makes sense, not simply benefiting yourself, but what can I do that will benefit others? For example, if I'm a doctor, I can convince myself that I'm helping people, healing them. Um, if I'm an engineer, I'm, I can convince myself that what I'm making is good for the future of my society. Um, I, I, for example, always ask that. And it's funny because in other movies about the existentialism of art, uh, they always, whether it's something that, that a Greta Gerwig made or something like that, where they talk about, am I just wasting time? What, what am I doing that helps people? Um, but you're right, RB3. To me, there's a balance between Yes, the real, the the powerful, the moving, the stuff that will bring you to tears, but at the same time, the inspirational. To me, nothing is more powerful than an inspirational movie. And an inspirational movie can be Black Panther or it can be Star Wars for me. Uh, and, and the kind of power that you can have by inspiring people can be just as effective as a, as a small, independent, make you cry kind of social movie. Yeah, I feel you. And the movie that I was, I was talking about before, by the way, was uh, um, Sullivan's Travel, 1941 by uh, Preston Sturgis. Uh, so if y'all want to check that that movie out, too. But it, it kind of plays on the same theme of like, yeah, like what's what was more essential to the art for people who are who literally cling on the art to survive. Right. Is it the entertainment or is it this realistic portrayal of reality to give this image to the outside world? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people I I'm right in the middle of both of them. But I think art is used by a lot of people as a form of escape. Even if someone's not an artist, we go to watch movies because we go to get immersed into a different kind of experience, a different kind of world and see that even when we're introduced to Andre through uh, Wallace's narration, just the idea of Andre, he was talking about how a mutual friend saw him crying on a New York corner because um, because of the line, I could always live in my art, but not in my life for an Ing- Ingmar Bergman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about how he was shattered by that dialogue. And that just shows like something like a just beautiful poetic line can affect somebody very profoundly it doesn't it can help somebody in a certain way it can bring you to a certain realization in your life and maybe i'm not to speak from but maybe gregory had that in his life from that line in that film so there's all different kinds of stories whether it is like a greta gerwig and roa bombback film or whether it is like a star wars or a black panther like you're saying andres um film and art and everything has the power to change so much in people's worlds and it really does make a huge impact when we look at art throughout the past just the past decade when we have great great filmmakers um like jordan peele and like ryan coogler and we have musicians we have like kendrick lamar we have these poetic 
we see poetry on screen, we're hearing poetry through the music. It's something that's really wonderful and beautiful. And it's, it's something to be celebrated. And it's something that, that takes us out of our own reality for just yeah, a moment. Absolutely. But at the same time, there's always this argument to be had about, I mean, we, we specialize in movies, right? So we mm -hmm. can talk about movies. I mean, any type of art we can, but specifically in movies, how people in our area of expertise, people who are much more savvy and older than we are, talk about the importance of smaller independent movies that hardly anyone in the major uh, movie audience watches versus like a like an MCU and, and the there's I guess what I'm saying is like there's more film critics who criticize and who stigmatize audiences that enjoy major blockbusters than enjoy smaller quieter movies that should be more important and i think that stigma does come with class not all of it obviously but a lot of it is and and there's no denying it i've been very vocal about it on this podcast uh at least my our own podcast talking about how it's kind of unfair for for us to criticize people who don't watch this tiny independent movie when they when they're own living situation they don't have the ability to drive to that movie theater to see it because their movie theaters aren't playing that movie we're privileged to live in la and see these kind of movies in in movie theaters pretty much all over the city um but most people don't and that's why they do enjoy what they enjoy so i feel like there's this level up of art that keeps going higher and higher and the higher it goes the more it's for the higher wealthy class people than it is for lower class people. Think about the, the beginnings of, of art in the Renaissance period uh, where it really started popping off. It's interesting because painters uh, would sell their paintings, but most people who, who buy paintings now are like elite one percenters, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the ironic situation. Um, and most people who criticize paintings or who value the paintings, who put a price tag on it, are elite people are people who are extremely wealthy people who are in lower class don't have the privilege to talk about a painting mm -hmm. frankly because they're more worried about paying rent more worried about working their double shift um so there is something there and i really feel like i, I wish more people talked about it because it's there yes absolutely yeah and i definitely oh um, yeah go ahead i'm sorry i i definitely agree i mean i think that's that's kind of the sad, tragic part about about like this this movie. I think too, right? Is like the idea of like, yeah, like when they made this film back in the early '80s, like there was a class, you know, dis disparagement, and there was like this divide, but it wasn't exacerbated to the point that it is now, right? And I think you know, even more and more, this movie, you know, um, I think even more and more as we look back on movies like pre, you know. Uh, pre, you know, hardships that we're experiencing now, especially pre-COVID and just pre, you know, 9-11, honestly. I mean, we talked about it on our Sam Mendes um, episode with, with, you know, with uh, me and Sabrina did and how much different a movie like American Beauty reads, you know, in 1999 than it does in 2001, right? Like this whole idea of like, oh, we're so bored. Life is so boring. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing happening in life. There's nothing happening in the world. Um, where we just kind of got hit with like this brutal reality shift, like in, you know, with, with 9-11, that's like, oh, there is a whole entire different world and, and, and things that we have to consider, terrorists, um, you know, all these different things that were crucial. Um, 
And and I think that's what that's unfortunately where this movie is lacking a little bit is that there's not a lot of that brought into the conversation. There is from Wallace's character, but it, the situation isn't nearly as bad as it is today. So it you know it's not like they really had that to really talk about back then either. You know. Yeah, both of them in this film seem to be pretty privileged artists, honestly. Even with even Wallace having to struggle a little bit more, he's still not a completely struggling, starving artist. He's doing decently well for himself still. Um, but it is the interesting thing because of that, like, it's almost like they're so privileged where they don't really have to talk about any of the kind of issues that are actually happening in like the real world because it doesn't really pertain to either of them. They're both ordinary um, white men in America that are artists and are recognized for their art one more than another, but, but they don't really have that, that they have to experience. And, and it goes back to what you said, Andres, about um, elite, just art and elitism and that kind of, separation and how it alienates a certain group of people from being into and being able to enjoy art as much as others and it is something it goes to show even in like today's world current day right now when people do talk about like a star wars or an mcu or those type of films and they talk about how they enjoy them on something like twitter people will say like oh you're just not as smart you just don't enjoy film you don't enjoy real art but there's a way that First of all, anybody can enjoy whatever it is that they love, but then there's also something to be said about people who just enjoy all different facets just because they do like a Star Wars doesn't mean they don't like some um like really like small independent art house film or something like that. And it and I echo everything you say about um us living in Los Angeles, us doing the things that we do and being immersed into the film world because when I was growing up, I had to drive an hour And I was lucky that I only had to drive like an hour because at least I had one nearby, but I had to drive an hour to this small independent theater on the north side of Chicago most of the time for like the more obscure indie films that I kind of um, like paid attention to. And at least I had that. If I didn't, I would have never gotten a chance to see a lot of these because they just weren't prevalent. And also because they're not in that world, in that world, that world where world where stuff sometimes you just don't hear about a movie like if you're not if you're not you could seek it out as much as you want you could try but like sometimes and we're talking film in this one sometimes you just don't hear about it and that doesn't make you any less intelligent that doesn't make you any less artistic that doesn't make you um any less of a fan of film it's something that is always going to be a prevalent issue um when it comes to art and just like the elitism yeah, there's always that st- stigma attached yeah, to it, right? Ex- um, where people yeah. are um, telling you, oh, how could you have never seen this? That's ridiculous. How could you have never watched that? That's silly. Um, and it's re- it's different people who have different upbringings. That's the, that's the whole issue with people who even create it to begin with, right? RB3, you and I have talked about the idea of most directors – are 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 from upper class society because they have the uh, finances from their parents to pay for cameras, to pay for lighting equipment, and to make their own movies, uh, or to even go to a a, a high end film school uh, and go to these uh, places to learn this kind of stuff. And that's the problem with the demographic of a vast majority of filmmakers that are mainly white men. Uh, and that's the problem with not having as much diversity behind a camera 
because simply people don't have those opportunities. And that's something that we're all very vocal about is providing more opportunities for more people of different backgrounds and giving them the platform and giving them the chances to do that. Um, that's something that it's always going to be an issue. And, and yeah, it, it's interesting to me because we see it in this movie. Uh, I don't know if, about you guys, but when he was like, oh, that, this is quail. It's so little. And I'm like, bro, I have never had quail before. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I don't have that. Well, I think I like, think I think that shows the opposite of actually what you're saying, because usually I don't know if you guys have. Well, it's something that people talk about a lot where they say produce, fresh produce costs a certain amount of money and a a bag of Doritos or cereal or something yeah. like that is a lot cheaper yeah. in terms of the ca like calories and everything like that. But it, it goes to show because when we get a meal at like a, a low end restaurant, just any normal average restaurant, it's something that's typically bigger. But when you go yes. to a high end restaurant, you're paying a way higher price tag, but you're getting a smaller amount. So that's what I think, because when he was looking at the menu, he couldn't even he couldn't understand. He had no idea what mm -hmm. was going on. They just recommended certain things. He just got the same thing as his friend Andre. Um, and it was one of those things where he probably expected it because he is still a, like a middle class guy. He's just not used to these type of bougie restaurants. He sees this and he sees probably like the price tag on the menu. And he's like, wow, this is really small. So I think it's like the opposite. Even though we've never yeah. had quail, if we were immersed in a situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, to me, I was yeah. just kind of yeah. blown away by the idea of eating quail because I've never had it before. And exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's stuff that comes with the privilege of even uh, eating at certain foods that like diets. Like if you want a very high, healthy, strict diet, most of the time that's going to cost extra. And most of the time people don't have that. It so it, it's all connected to the way America, like you said, RB3, especially during the 80s, kind of favored capitalism over anything else. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that even that even comes down to, there's one part, and I forget exactly which uh, children's book they're talking about, The Little Prince. I, th mm -hmm. That's what it was. They're talking about The Little Prince being a totalitarian, fascist, like, kind of propaganda. And again, that's just another example of, like, yeah, that's the mindset that was uh, kind of happening back then. But yeah, I I think that's, you know, there's so many questions that this movie kind of gets into about, like, life and art. And I feel like we discussed, like, a lot of them. But, yeah, I think overall my biggest, like you said, and like we all said in the beginning, um, my biggest takeaway is just, like, yeah, how much of a difference privilege can make in these kind of conversations when, you know, comparing art, lifestyles, livelihood, um, when, especially when you're considering... Um, the state of like, you know, the state of art, the state of being, the state of, you know, theater, especially back in those days mm -hmm. versus movies. And, you know, this is a movie and movies are pretty much the most, you know, accessible art form mm -hmm. out there, you know, pretty much besides music. And we and how much more accessible this movie is to have a conversation about these topics than the actual conversation itself. So I think for even though like this movie does kind of play into like um, a lot of the ideas of like, yeah, like uh, like what is art? What's the conception of art? What's the conception of lifestyle and and, and, and reality and how removed are how, how removed is, you know, society from being art, being artistic and being primitive and being instinctive and natural um, when in irony, this is a movie that is pretty much that pretty much 
and and for and from and it raises all these questions and then pretty much Andre's answer is you have to travel more, you have to get out more, you have to be more lively and you have to do all this. And but in reality, the people who are probably watching this movie can probably most likely won't even be able to do that anyway. I mean, the whole point of movies are to look into this world that's different, that's unique, that's universal. And this movie being so much about how much art is different and unique and universal, this movie is that just from the perspective of like most people who are watching movies don't have the resources to be able to afford that kind of lifestyle. Well, don't you think it's kind of meta and kind of ironic that this is a kind of movie that most people, not to stereotype, but most people probably haven't seen it because it is a smaller dialogue heavy, not big blockbuster type movie. It isn't a wider audience type movie. Yeah. And the irony that it's very meta that these guys are saying these things about art and yet most people haven't seen it. It's the whole sorry to bother you effect, RB3. Mm. When you and I saw that movie, I, we had a very meta moment where the whole film is talking about how black people are making art and white people are buying it up. Mm. And, and, and there should be something to be said about that. And the irony that we saw it in a packed white theater mm. uh, in the middle of Hollywood mm. with, with an all-white audience. And it was very meta where I was like, wait a minute, this thing is talking about how art it mm. is mainly for the upper class, even though it comes from a lower class black man. All and right. that's exactly what's happening right now as we're seeing this movie. I thought it was insane. Um, yeah. Like we had a dialogue afterwards, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, any final takeaways, Sabrina? Yeah. Well, there was, there's a lot of ideas that are brought up since it is so dialogue heavy. I feel like you can portion out any 20 minutes and honestly talk about that 20 minutes in great length. Um, there was a quote and I don't remember it exactly, but it was something along the lines of, um, this is probably the one that like struck me the most. Cause it's something that I've caught myself when I watch older films and I read older novels from people like Patty Smith, or I listen to like Bob Dylan. And, um, I think Andre says something along the lines of like the last great artists were born in like the 1960s or something along those lines. Mm. And, um, I just thought that was like really interesting because I feel because at that time it was the 80s, so it was like a generation before. And I feel like this mm. is something that kind of always happens. Every generation, we're kind of like, oh, the last great artists were mm. the generation before. And now, now all this technology, all of our social media, everything is going to affect the way that we perceive things and the way that we want to consume content. And I thought it was something really interesting. It's I don't agree at all. Um, but it's something that I've caught myself thinking sometimes. And then I realize that this is just the case all the time. And we're always going to think that. And then in another generation, they're going to say that about our generation. And it's something that's interesting to hear from two artists, two people currently that were successful and working in art, um, to hear them say because they were saying about how that current generation wasn't as cultured or they weren't going out and doing this stuff. or And they were unhappy and they were just dealing with life and life is so mundane and life is boring. I, I just kind of grabbed that from little bits and pieces throughout the film. But when he had that line, that's something that stuck out to me the most because I, I wholly disagree. I think our is obviously constantly evolving. So it might not be exactly the same as it was the generation before, but I feel like, I feel like it improves upon itself in many other ways. So that's something that, because I've told myself, it just stuck out to me when I heard mm. it in the film and I don't agree at all but it's something that I've definitely caught myself thinking. Yeah, it, I, th I think my final takeaway is the idea of 
uh, teaching about art, right, to other people and how most people aren't willing to uh, go through the process of teaching someone about a different movie or about a different uh, musical artist. There is still, especially with social media, uh, with social media comes the effect of obviously sharing more. But the problem is there's still a lot of people on social media, I would even say most people, who do look down upon people who don't know certain artists, uh, whether it's musical yeah. artists or films that people don't watch. And they do look down on them instead of going out of the way to teach them. Uh, and this kind of goes hand in hand with education. And it's funny because we're talking about education of art, but that's also important. It's the idea of developing an educational system that is centered around art that can teach people what exactly is quality, what is a good uh, film, what is a good song, whatever it is, instead of doing the whole, oh, how could you've not heard of that? kind of attitude that's prevalent over all social media especially twitter but even even tiktok i mean i've been on tiktok a few times but there's still this weird you know 14 year olds being like how could have you not heard about this song and it's like even 14 year olds now are doing it and it's this new generation of the same repetitive notion of superiority um and i feel like education is is, is important with that that's what I was actually just about to say going off of what you said it's it's that superiority I feel like in in general this is just a fact like art is subjective and people consume things in different ways and people take things in different ways but I feel like with art there's also this kind of form of competition on who's more intellectual who's who's better who has better taste and it is that superiority like issue and conflict that always like arises when it comes to art because it's like my taste is the definitive taste and if yours is is different if you like this movie that i don't like or you've never heard of this one that i love then i'm just i'm way more cultured and i'm just more intelligent than you i feel like that's the way a lot of people think when when like you said it's more about the education it's more about immersing somebody because not everybody has the same benefit of being able to focus on art in the same way other people do throughout their upbringing or throughout their adulthood Absolutely. Uh, alrighty, guys, I think that was it. Uh, for anyone who's still listening, uh, we are First Cut. Uh, you can go subscribe, obviously, to our YouTube channel, First Cut. Um, you can follow us individually. I'm at Squad Leader Ace. I'm at Director RB3. I'm at Sabrina X Monica and Sabrina on Film on Twitter. There we go, guys. And this was our conversation on My Dinner with Andre. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you, William Bibiani and Winnie Seibel and the critically acclaimed network for having us. This is really awesome. Yeah, thank you.